You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That's right. Bear on, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City, Gridiron, and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And, and I'll be honest, I thought about changing up the music here to start the episode. I thought it might be more fitting to play taps. I really wanted to play Final Countdown by Europe, but it's too early to say it's the final countdown on Matt Eberflus. I really think it is. I I think we're there. I do. But with Matt Eberflus comes a lot of things that Bears fans probably don't want, and that would be Justin Fields as well. But let's, let's talk about it. Cleveland Brown loss, epic gag job, third on the season. Kevin Fishbane of The Athletic will be joining me here shortly to talk about the game and, of course, what this means for the big picture. But let's let's dive into it. Let's talk about the game for a few minutes and before we talk about what this means moving forward. And to me, I mean, look, I'm at the point of my Bears fandom in my life where I expect crap like this to happen. But it's amazing the Bears' ability to be able to do things like that when I just start getting a glimmer of hope. Like, if that happened and the season was totally lost and and there was nothing to play for, you just sit there and you shrug your shoulders and go, typical Bears. But they like to do it right when that glimmer of hope really starts setting. Where you sit there and say, okay, you see a path to the playoffs. You see positivity. You see improvement everywhere. And you sit there and say, okay, they are finally on the right track and that's where they just rip the 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 rug from underneath you and have you fall squarely on your ass and that's what happened because you heard this podcast if you heard it last week I was loving it enjoying it and and embracing it and I fully embraced it like I said stirring the marinara sauce becoming a meatball having fun with it and then the Bears had the audacity to go up 17 to 7 where I'm getting ready for a post-game show. I'm looking, the Packers are losing, the Falcons are losing, which I understand wasn't great from a first pick perspective, but things were falling into place. I said, okay, now they, you know, they're going to control their destiny with these teams. 
get them out of the way, the Packers, they would have controlled their destiny with the Packers in terms of the playoffs. You just had to worry about the Rams and the Vikings. You needed one of them to get out of the way, and the Chicago Bears were going to control their destiny for the playoffs. It was close. It was happening. I started figuring out how we were going to be talking on the post-game show about playoff situations and what needed to happen, and the Bears and the Cardinals and the Falcons and how they were going to steamroll these teams, and everything was falling into place. And then the fourth quarter happened, and oh, the fourth quarter was an ugly, ugly quarter, and there's so much blame to go around. It's difficult to pinpoint things on just one person or one position group, because you can absolutely point the blame at Luke Getze, who had a very poor play calling situation. He had no feel for this game. He insisted on trying to establish a running game that was not there and that cost them dearly late in this game. We'll get into that. You can blame Justin Fields. I understand he had certain things working against him, but he did not rise above any of it. And yes, I understand the Tanyan drop, the Mooney drop. I understand all of it. But the fact of the matter is, is Justin Fields was outplayed by Joe Flacco. The offensive line, the full collection, the group deserves blame. They were terrible. That was probably their worst performance of the season. I can't think of one worse than that. And they had some stinkers early in the year. Justin Fields running for his life against the Green Bay Packers. But that one I felt was worse. Tevin Jenkins, knock on wood, gets back soon. Always rough to see him going off the field. He is, as we know, hugely, hugely important for that offensive line. So you can blame the line, Getze, Fields, Tanyan's drop was brutal. I know everyone said that was a touchdown. This is this is older Robert Tanyan. I think he wasn't going to make it much past where he caught the ball, but certainly that hurt the Bears, no question. The Darnell Mooney drop, it shouldn't have come down to a Hail Mary anyway, but when that is, you are sitting on the ground and it is in your breadbasket, you have to squeeze that thing and make sure you catch that football. Tyler Scott with a drop. He did make up for it later. Trent Taylor, muffin punts. One of them he lost completely. He deserves blame. Matt Eberflus for going conservative. Absolutely deserves blame. After all, this is his team, his roster, his coaching staff. So if any of them screw up, he also screws up. And that defense was awesome. And we want to give them all the credit in the world. Montez Sweat was terrorizing Joe Flacco all game. The rest of the defensive line did its job. Tremaine Edmonds with the pick six. As the defensive line continues to improve, Tremaine Edmonds is making more and more plays. TJ Edwards continues to make plays. Jalen Johnson with an interception. Tyreek Stevenson with a beautiful interception. Eddie Jackson, nearly a pick six in what I thought was is probably his last pick in return of his Bears career. Oh, did I want to have him cross the goal line and score those points one more time in a Chicago Bears uniform. Plenty, plenty of positivity on the Bears' defensive side of the ball. But, but in the fourth quarter, when you're praising this defense, you got to be fair. And in the fourth quarter, they had... No help from the offense. They were out on the field a bunch, three and outs from the offense over and over again. I get all of it, but you cannot let Joe Flacco throw for over 200 yards in the fourth quarter. You cannot allow it. 
That was just terrible. Terrible effort by the Bears' defense, and it wasn't all their fault. The play calling by Matt Eberflus on the defensive side of the ball, we've all talked about it. We were all sitting there in stunned disbelief as we watched the replay of David Njoku converting a third and 15 from Joe Flacco because Justin Jones had dropped back into zone coverage so Jaquan Brisker could blitz. And I'm all for blitzing, and I'm all for mixing up packages and stunts and twists and creating pressure. I love it. I'm all for it. But third and 15 with the game on the line, Brisker, the ideal guy to cover Njoku, is blitzing while Justin Jones is dropping into zone coverage. And you know Justin Jones had to be sitting there going, what is happening? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? He's probably got huge eyes in the huddle going, guys, guys, abort. But it's too late. Matt Eberflus has made the call. And we can praise Matt Eberflus for all his defensive calls and everything else he has done positive these last few weeks. But that cost them the game. Third and 15, you cannot allow that to happen. You don't need to blitz there. You're getting home a bunch. Montez Sweat is terrorizing this offensive line. Demarcus Walker is having a good game. Justin Jones has been making an impact. Rush four, Matt. Four, and you dropped Justin Jones back into coverage. Unbelievable how many mistakes were made in this game, and most of them in one quarter of play. How it's possible that the Chicago Bears continue to disappoint their fans like this is remarkable, but the Chicago Bears, that's it. This season is over, it's kaput, it's finished. Don't sit there and pretend that eight and nine can get them into the playoffs. It cannot. Mathematically, is it still a 1% chance? I even think that's being generous. This Chicago Bears team, they need so much to happen. I think they need the Seahawks to lose out. They need the they they need only one team to get to, you know, they need the right team to get to 8 and 9 or 9 and 8 whatever win the NFC South. The rest of the other two teams, they need out of the the picture completely. They need the Vikings at 7 and 10. They need the Packers, it's like they need so much help. They need all these teams to lose because they don't have the tiebreakers right now with the Vikings, the Packers, and the Rams. That's that, and that's for two wild card spots. You need of those teams, you could only have one of them in the mix. It's a it's it's impossible. So don't sit there and and have hope. Oh, well, we can beat the Cardinals and and the Falcons, and let's see where we're at. We had that opportunity as Bears fans to see this team push for the playoffs, and it meant beating the Cleveland Browns, and they did not do it. And it was a frustrating game, and to me, it kind of encapsulates Matt Eberflus. It really does. This game encapsulates Matt Eberflus because the Bears were good, but they weren't good enough. That's the bottom line with the Matt Eberflus coaching staff. It, it looks pretty good sometimes, but it's not good enough. This isn't a Super Bowl caliber coaching staff. And that's why I tweeted out earlier in the week that the decision is pretty simple. Because if ifs, I know, ifs and buts and candies and nuts and if, you know, my aunt, my uncle, yeah, we know all the phrases. 
But this if is different because this isn't me wishing the Chicago Bears were in the playoff. And of course I wish that. Of course I wish they were in the division, but that's not what the point of the tweet is. The point of the tweet was the Chicago Bears have lost three games, basically nearly mathematically impossible to lose. Two of the games were basically at 99%, and this one yesterday was at 91%. Double-digit leads in the fourth quarter, and two of them late in the fourth quarter. The Chicago Bears could not lose those games. Mathematically, it was almost impossible. to And to lose all three, the, the odds of that happening are 0.003%. Microscopic odds for that to happen. So you can have positives with Justin Fields, and you can have positives with DJ Moore, and you can have positives with an improving offensive line and an improving defensive line and Montez Sweat and a good linebacking core and a secondary that can be locked down at times and positives and positives and positives. You can stack those positives, but there's not enough because of Matt Eberflus, because of the execution, because of what he's doing to put these players in a position to succeed, or I should say, not doing. The perfect example is that Justin Jones play. Put your players in a position to succeed. He put Justin Jones in a position to fail. And that is on the coaching staff. He finally, finally took blame and said, yeah, I shouldn't have made that call. He never does. It's As we know, even recently he just did, well, it's on the players and the coaches, because I guarantee you someone pulled him aside. But he finally took blame. So I guess we give Matt Eberflus credit for that. But overall, he's not getting the job done. And I brought it up last week, and I brought it up to Adam Johns, and that is the Rick Renneria example. Rick Renneria did a pretty good job with the Cubs in 2014. He improved. They had a winning record the last 60 games of the year. He had them playing pretty good baseball. He had them going in the right direction. He deserved to keep his job. But the Chicago Cubs said, you know what? It's not good enough. Theo Epstein said it's not good enough, and he moved on. And that's what Kevin Warren and that's what Ryan Poles need to do here. It's it's a bit abrupt. You can sit there and say it's rebuilding, he's improving, but he's showing enough warts. This is not a, a fluke. This is not an isolated game. Not only has he done this three times last year, I didn't realize he did it twice last year. Three times this year, he did it twice last year. This is five times Matt Eberflus has blown double-digit leads in the fourth quarter. It's unacceptable. It's who he is as a coach. Why is it who he is? It's because he gets conservative. The defenses tend to get softer. The offenses get conservative, run the ball up the middle. They try to chew clock. They can't successfully do it. They're afraid to make a pass or give the ball to Justin Fields and let him do something. Whether they're worried about a turnover or a sack, I don't know. You'd have to ask Luke Getze after you get a couple beers in him and he's honest with you. But the bottom line is they don't get it done as a collective group. So when I look at the big picture here, I think it is very clear that Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze and basically the whole coaching staff, if a new coach wants to come in and sit there and say, I'd like to keep this position coach or that position coach, that's up to that new head coach. We'll let him decide. But for right now, Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze, their jobs need to end in Chicago and they need to start fresh. And what's Critical, I think, for Bears fans to realize that if a new coach is here, Justin Fields is not going to be here. 
especially if the Bears have the first or second pick. And I know some Bears fans are sitting there saying, I wish they didn't have the first or second pick so we could end the quarterback talk. Now, here's what I'm going to say to those Bears fans. If you actually are hoping the Chicago Bears get in a worse position as a franchise so the GM that you trust, you are afraid he is going to get rid of the quarterback you love, then that problem is you, not the Chicago Bears. It's because you are afraid that the quarterback you love, that the GM is going to say, he's not good enough, we need to move on, we have an opportunity here with the number one pick and resetting the quarterback clock. You know, you, you're seeing all it. You're seeing people like myself, and besides me, you're seeing people who know a lot more about football and are better football people, like Greg Olson, like J.T. O'Sullivan, like Brian Baldinger, like you know, uh, Kurt Warner, like all these guys have said, oh, Justin Fields is great. Justin Fields is this, Justin Fields is that. But when you ask them the question, do you keep Justin Fields or do you draft Caleb Williams? They say draft Caleb Williams. There's a couple outliers out there. Sure. Usually those outliers are quarterback analysts because they don't want to see a quarterback get a raw deal. And Justin Fields is getting a raw deal. Don't get me wrong. How many times have I said he got dealt the worst poker hand possible for the, from the Chicago Bears. It's the reality of the situation. It sucks for him. But the bottom line is if you are hoping the Chicago Bears get put in a worse position so they keep the player you love, then you are not looking at this for the best, the best situation for your franchise. You want it for yourself. And, and, and sure, we're all fans. Fan the way you want to fan. But realize, I hope you understand that if that's your mindset, that that's on you, not on the Chicago Bears. Don't wish the Chicago Bears get less assets and less potential to improve the team just so you can hold on to your Justin Fields jersey, okay? I, I, I can't stand that mentality. And this Justin Fields debate is getting wild, it's getting vicious, and, and it's really getting unhealthy on social media. We all got to take a step back. We all got to take a step back. It's a football player. It's a it's a good man. It's a guy you want to keep, you know, and, and lead your franchise. And he's athletic and he's fun and he's exciting. And that play that he made for the touchdown pass to Cole Komet is you sit there and go, that's why we need to keep Justin Fields. But you got to look at the full body of work. And the full body of work is still roller coasters within the game, inconsistencies within the game, not enough put the team on your back and carry them to a victory. Just say, guys, I got you. There's not enough of that from Justin Fields. There is in spurts, and I love the guy. And I am sick. And you sit there and go, oh, you don't love the guy. You're criticizing him. Yeah, I'm criticizing him because that's my job is to try and look at this as objectively as I can, to try and take emotion out of the analysis and watch the player play the game of football. And what I am watching does not show me enough for the Chicago Bears to pass on someone like Caleb Williams. And not just Caleb Williams' talent, but what it means for roster construction. And, and, and again, the build the 49ers around Justin Fields, no, because Justin Fields got to make $45 million in a couple of years. You don't get to do that. Right now is, to, is the way you do it. You reset the quarterback clock, keep the salary around $8, 9000000 at the quarterback, so you can sign 
Montez Sweat and Tremaine Edmonds and go after Chris Jones, who I have said I think the Bears should absolutely make a push for this offseason. You do that with a rookie quarterback. You don't do that with Justin Fields. You can't keep everyone when you're going to pay that much to the quarterback. So that's what this is. It's a business of football decision. If the Bears had the 7th and 10th pick and the conversation was about J.J. McCarthy, it would be totally different and you would not hear people like myself talking about moving on from Justin Fields like we are. It comes down to the business of football and the business of football says that the Chicago Bears should move on from Justin Fields, bring in a new quarterback, it'll be a rough transition, but in the long term, it is the best thing possible for the franchise moving forward. And when you think there and sit there and think about number one picks, and you say, oh, well, you know, they don't have enough supports and they fail and it's not a great opportunity, and you just keep the, the safe player. I mean, I understand that Peyton Manning had a neck injury and that it was going to be significant rehab and they didn't know how he was going to be after the injury. I get the question marks. But the Indianapolis Colts moved on from Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning! Okay? This is not Peyton Manning. This is Justin Fields. They are not nearly at the same level. And I know even the biggest Fields fans understand that. The Colts moved on because they had an opportunity to draft Andrew Luck. That's how this happens. And when you sit there and say you don't want, there's not going to be success with a rookie quarterback, and yeah, he may struggle and there may be problems. But this roster is so much better than what usually when you get the number one pick and you draft Caleb Williams, it's because you went 2-15 and 15 and you have a bad team and you go and take the quarterback like Bryce Young and you put Bryce Young on an awful football team. And it's, it's awful to watch. It's painful to watch. This Bears team is much better than that. This is a Bears team that we talked about is five and nine and, you know, a couple breaks and better coaching away from being eight and six. This is a middle of the road football team. They're five and nine. You're, they're going to win at least one more game, maybe two more games. They, it's not even impossible to win three more games. This team's going to win six, seven games most likely. It's a middle of the road team. These middle-of-the-road teams don't get number one picks to just drop in like this. It doesn't happen. And, and the best example I could come up with semi-recently is the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers didn't have a great quarterback situation. And I understand that Justin Fields is better than Tommy Maddox, okay? So just keep that in mind when I say this. So Tommy Maddox, the, you know, the, the Steelers need a quarterback. I think Cordell Stewart gets hurt. Tommy Maddox comes in, has a miraculous season. Steelers go, I think, 11-5, and five, make the playoffs. So they roll with Tommy Maddox, and Tommy Maddox comes back down to earth the next year. The Steelers struggle and go 6-10. and 10. So they went into the draft, and because the draft was loaded, a really good quarterback prospect fell a little further than he should and fell to the about seventh spot, whatever it was. And he usually would have been a top-three pick. But Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers were there. So those guys went high. And Ben Roethlisberger fell to a Pittsburgh Steelers team that had Jerome Bettis, Heinz Ward, Plaxico Burris, a pretty good offensive line, Troy Palomalu, Joey Porter, like uh, James Ferrier, I think. A lot of good players on that team. That, that The roster was ready. So they drop rookie Ben Roethlisberger in and Ben Roethlisberger, and I'm not saying it's going to happen for the Bears like this next year, but they went 15-1 and 1 
in Ben Roethlisberger's rookie year because they got, he was just a game manager. This wasn't Hall of Fame Big Ben. He was a game manager. They got the most out of him as a rookie and the rest of the roster was good, elevated the rookie quarterback and they had a miraculous season. So to sit there and say, well, if the Bears draft Caleb Williams, they're going to go 5-12 and 12 next year. Not necessarily true because they're going to have the roster around them. A roster that's going to have still a top 10 pick. You're going to have a second round pick, I believe, when you trade Justin Fields. You could have a third round pick added because I think Ian Cunningham has still has a good shot to get a GM spot. You got an extra fourth round pick from the, the, the Eagles for the, the Jalen Carter trade. You've got a lot of assets. And on top of that, you still have a comfortable amount of money that you can re-sign Jalen Johnson, create more cap space by getting rid of Eddie Jackson and Cody Whitehair, signing a solid cheap safety for seven, eight million. That's gonna give you similar to Eddie Jackson. Have the secondary complete. You still got all the linebackers under contract. You add a big player, maybe a Bryce Huff or a Chris Jones up front on the defensive line. You sign a center. You sign an extra wide receiver. You don't need that many pieces to beef up this roster even more. Then you infuse it with Ryan Poles, who looks like he's got a pretty good scouting eye. You infuse it with more talent from the draft. And suddenly you have, I think, a top 15, maybe a top 10, 12 roster around a rookie quarterback. And you are putting them in a position to succeed. What did we talk about earlier? Putting players in a position to succeed. And if you bring in the right coach, an offensive-minded coach, to help mold the quarterback, you could be on the cusp of something very, very special. So that's what it comes down to here. I love Justin Fields. I wanted it to work with Justin Fields. This is a football business decision. This is not an emotional decision. This is not an I hate Justin Fields. I think Ryan Poles hates Justin Fields. Nobody hates Justin Fields. But sometimes the writing is on the wall and you just need to open your eyes and read it. Kevin Fishbane joins me next. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the podcast. Excited to do this guest because he is always full of information and statistics and you know i heard hogan john's talking about the kevin fishbane fun facts and they're not very fun but they would be fun if the chicago bears would oblige and make some facts fun for him to report he is kevin fishbane of the athletic and he joins me now kevin bill zimmerman how you doing good bill thank you for having me and look as as hard as i work to find those sad facts i'd be happy to work just as hard to find some fun facts when they win I, I'm sure I found a lot of really good ones during the 2018 season. So I, I'm capable. They just got to give me reason to find them. Yeah, right. They they, they got to give you the ammunition. And just unfortunately, we, we just keep seeing just these terrible losses and unfortunate things. And, and I think th this one stings particularly 
more than others. And and I think based on what I was reading about the locker room and everything, this, this one really hit the players as well, because I think most of the season, you know, was kind of just slightly building and getting a little better and improvement and improvement. And then we, we hit this stretcher, these last four games, winning three out of four, that, that this Bears team was really coming in their own, feeling good, feeling positive about maybe making a push for the playoffs. And it really came crumbling down there in literally one quarter. What, what was it like there? I, I know you were in Cleveland. What, what was kind of the, the, the player reaction and everything from, from suffering such a tough loss? Yeah, it was a despondent locker room. It really was. And, and I had seen that after the Detroit game. Um, we saw it after the Broncos game. Broncos game was almost disbelief. Um, this one was just there were, I mean, there were defensive players that were, you could tell, were angry. Um, there were guys, I think offensive players were just like, couldn't believe it. You know, sad. Most of the offense was like had already left by the time we got it, you know, as, as we're getting in there, Um, you know, I, Eddie Jackson, Jalen Johnson just sat in their lockers heads down and I've seen it before, you know, as I saw it's the third time now, you know, Justin Jones would just like, you know, this kind of look on his face, just stared straight ahead. These guys were just couldn't believe it. DJ Moore, just a towel draped over his head and staring at his locker for a good 10, 15 minutes before he, you know, got dressed and chatted with us. So, yeah, this one stung. And I asked Cole Komet about that today. And, you know, he said, he goes, look, they knew that they had a shot. You know, Bill, you saw the teams that lost yesterday. Like they, like it was setting up for, you know, you win the next two at home. You got you got you got something to play for in Lambeau. And it all just came crashing down. I think they were very aware of that um, and, and that couple with the loss. I mean, it was uh, it was a pretty dejected group. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And and it, it really did. It was it was setting up. I, I kind of, you know, I was talking about it before the game that it, it, it felt like if the Bears could win this game, that it would have a really pretty good potential of being eight and eight going into that last game. And, you know, if, if the Packers are eight and eight and the Bears are eight and eight and there's a playoff, you know, berth on the line, that was going to be Sunday night football on NBC. That was going to be a big deal. And the national media was going to label the Bears the team that nobody wanted to play. Like it, it was going to be fun to, to be along this ride, and and it, it's got a sting. And I know you're, you're, some people are sitting there going, "Well, they're still mathematically alive," but that that means like the Panthers winning games and the Commanders winning games. It, it's not really a thing to me. That kind of ended the season, and. and to me, I, yeah, they've got three games left, but it's two bad teams and, and then a week 18 game where we just don't know how much is on the line. I, I think the bulk of the evaluation now after this game for both Matt Eberflus and, and Luke Getze and his coaching staff and 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 Justin Fields is, I, I'm not saying it's complete, but I feel like it's mostly complete because I just don't know if Justin Fields has a huge game against the Cardinals on Christmas Eve, how much you know, oomph you can put in that if you're if you're Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren. But but let me start with the coaching and, and the fact that they've lost three of these games like this. Is that something that you think goes more on execution? Because to me, that that that's more of an indictment on Matt Eberflus that he's got three losses like this. And I didn't even realize that he's got two double-digit fourth quarter blown leads in 2022. I know we want to put that aside, but this is now five times since he's been the Bears head coach, he's lost double-digit leads in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that goes on coaching, and, and and everybody will, even the players will talk about executing, and making plays. But you know, guess who's in charge of getting those guys ready to execute in those situations? It's the coaches. Um, you know, it's these guys, it's their job to put the players in the best spot 
to make a play. And and the Bears defense just wasn't necessarily put in those spots yesterday. The offense wasn't put in those spots. And, you know, and the players, you know, we've talked about this a lot this season, this whole idea of um, learning to win and 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 knowing how to put teams away. And, you know, Matt Eberflus brought up last week's Lions game as a good example of when they did it right. But, I mean, that game was kind of over by the third quarter. There wasn't like this, like, fourth quarter, last minute, they did it. You know, they, they didn't – they kind of didn't get the Vikings, but they got a little lucky there. You know, they make the – you know, Fields makes a big play DJ Moore. I don't know what the Vikings' defense was in that play. Um, <laughs> weird, yeah. You know, and that's it. Like, the, that was – you know, up until that moment, you thought that was another one they had let go away. So, they really haven't had that opportunity to just, you know, show that they have the medal to close the door on somebody. I think that is an incredible reflection of coaching um, in, in terms of Eberflus and Getze and the position coaches um, having these guys, you know, ready. And, and, you know, again, going back to it's organizational too, right? Like the guys who've been in this building for a while just haven't won and they just don't know, you know, as much of how to do that and how to finish these teams off. So, um, you know, you can see, you can understand that guys probably got tight once that became 17-10 and then obviously 17-17, um, you know, the play calling might get a little tight, might get a little conservative, or you just don't know what you're supposed to do. So, yeah, I think it, I think it certainly speaks to coaching when, when you have those kind of um, bad collapses on your mark. And, and, and I'll be honest, I, it felt to me like they were learning how to win. And I know the Carolina Panthers are a terrible football team, but, you know, that was a close game. They, you know, they had to make a couple defensive stops. I know Reich didn't make a great call with the field goal. Tyson Bajan, you know, makes the play. And I know it's Bajan on fields, but Tyson Bajan makes the play, the throw to Darnell Mooney to, to ice that game. And like you said, the Vikings game finish was a little weird, but, you know, they, they you know, still made a couple plays when they had to, even after they faltered where they could have kind of put their heads down. They, you know, they battled back a little bit. So I, I felt, you know, Detroit game was just an all-around good victory. I felt like they were turning the corner in that that learning to win and how they needed to do that. And like you said, that that falls on coaching. And and I know the last few weeks, Matt Eberflus and his job security has gained a lot of momentum. And, and Adam Johns was on this podcast last week. I brought it up to him. So I want to bring it up to you and see what you think of this analogy. To me, I look at this and kind of look at this like the Chicago Cubs. And I go back to 2013 and that Chicago Cubs team won, I think, 65 or 66 games. They get a new manager for 2014. It's Rick Renneria. He does a good job with that team. They, they improve seven or eight games. They, you know, they finished above 500 the last 60 games of the year. Like he had them going in the right direction, but they get an opportunity to, to, to get Joe Madden. They decide that Renneria is not the guy to be, you know, who's going to break the curse, so to speak. And, and, and then I look at the bears here and I look at Matt Eberflus and he has absolutely done some things. He did not lose this locker room when it would have been really easy to do it after that. zero and four start, the defense has absolutely turned the corner. You know, the, the play calling on the defense is better. There, there's a lot of things that he's improved upon throughout this season, but I still get this feeling for, for me personally, that while Matt Eberflus might be good, it still may not be good enough if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And you can even use what the Cubs just did last month as another example of this. You know, I mean, they, they were improved last year with David Ross and, and there was an opportunity to get in, but you, there's a lot of critique about what David Ross is doing, how he was managing late in games and, and they go get Craig Council, who's considered one of the best in baseball. So yeah, I, I think that's, it, it's, it's a good analogy because you know if, an, if they make a coaching change and a new coach comes in, 
hopefully, if Matt Eberflus did what he said he does, this new coach would come in and say, wow, these guys hustle. These guys play hard. These guys fight. These guys run after the ball. All those Eberflus staples, um, you know, if they have that foundation, that's, you know, a word Ryan Poles used a lot about he and Matt Eberflus building his foundation. You know, hopefully that foundation is there. You know, in a weird way, I know that, like, the John Fox era was obviously atrocious. But, like, that was similar to a, re, a, a rebuild, even a worse, you know, situation than this. Like, they did not have right. anywhere near the talented players that the current Bears have. Um, but, you know, John Fox was brought in in part to fix the culture. And to and I know cultures can be a you know weird buzzword we use a lot, but you know he took over after I mean the, the thing was a mess after Mark Trustman, and when Matt Nagy oh, yeah. came, you know Matt Nagy got here in 2018, you know like yeah the team was bad under John Fox and and he uh, you know you can certainly talk about how in it he was in 2017. He's certainly not like Ibrufus. I mean Ibrufus is locked in every second of the, of the situation, but John Fox had, had established a, a better culture. And then, you know, that's what Nagy inherited uh, along with a good defense. So, you know, a new coach could could be getting that, could be getting, you know, guys that are willing practice players and, and understand the importance of playing hard. And they'll get a pretty talented defense. They'll get some good offensive linemen and um, a star receiver. And, you know, yeah, you, you, you could see a situation where – and look, Bill, I'm sure we'll get to the quarterback conversation – you can make the same argument on quarterback where, you know, you, you know that Justin Fields is a, is a good player, but you might have an opportunity at somebody who in the long term could be a better player. And that's kind of the decision ahead of Ryan Pohl. So, you know, look, the NFL is a cutthroat business. And I'm sure Matt, uh, George McCaskey and Kevin Warren think that Matt Eberfuss is a really nice guy and they love his tenets. They love his philosophies. They love the way he coaches. Um, but you know, you are what your record is. And if they have, if they believe they can find somebody better then you know, that's something they should be seriously considering. All right. And, and yeah, we'll absolutely get to the quarterback conversation, but, but before we kind of switch over to offense, cause there's a few things to talk about there in this game and, and in general, I, I do want to not harp on all the negatives here in, in this interview and talk about one positive that, you know, I, I'll be honest. I, I was, I, I thought it was a good move at the time. I thought it was a steep price. But tip, you know, tip of the cap to Ryan Poles for really knowing what Montez Sweat could be. Because I thought he was a good player. I thought he was better against the run than against the pass. So I thought he would help with the run defense, fortify that even more, and provide a pass rush. But I did not expect this kind of impact. And this is an impact. He has elevated that entire defensive line in front of him. He's given Tremaine Edmonds less traffic to deal with because that defensive line is better. Now Edmonds is making more plays. Obviously the secondary is better because there's more pass rush. I mean, he has elevated this entire unit with his presence. I mean, I don't want to say it's Khalil Mack 2018 with what he did to that defense, but it, it there's a lot of similarities there. And I, I like the move. I like the aggressiveness from Ryan Poles, but I did not expect like this level of impact from Montez Sweat. Yeah, I'm with you, Bill. I had a similar reaction when the trade went down. I was like, this makes sense. I totally understand why they're doing it. Good player at his age, you know, on the ascent. Um, and, you know, the first kind of, obviously you expected the first game or two to not be great. Um, and yeah, I mean, this guy, he, he's got, you know, what it is, is it's this relentless pursuit he plays with. Um, I, th I think I'm trying to remember what game it was. Might have been Panthers, uh, where he came from the backside in pursuit of a run play. Where it's like, where did this guy come from? Right. And and, and that you, you felt good about that play because it was you know somebody who wasn't going to loaf. 
Uh, and then, yeah, you watch him. I mean, there was a call plays yesterday where he took one step one way, then put his forearm into the offensive tackle, and he was on his butt. And, and Sweat was going after Joe Flacco. And, and I think that you, yeah, you've seen him raise the play. I mean, Demarcus Walker's been playing his best football. Justin Jones has been playing his best football. The takeaway numbers are out of control, and, and I think that the pass rush plays a big role in that. And, you know, yeah, I think there's a sense of, hey, we've got a real – Pro Bowl caliber guy, you know, let's raise all of our levels of play around him. I was telling somebody the story. I was actually telling Adam Johns the story recently, and I do sometimes like to compare the Chicago Bears professional football team to the nine-year-old travel baseball teams I once coached. But I remember we we had, we had to, we were missing players, and so I got a couple of players from a better team, and these kids were really good, like way better than my team. And uh, everybody on my, like my team raised their level of play. Like they've all played out of their minds because they all saw what these kids were doing, and they were like, "Wow, yeah, look at look what those, look what those guys are doing." And like, and, and everybody suddenly like played like their best game this season, you know, because they had these other guys in them. So I do think it's the old, you know, rising tide lifts all boats, and, and Montez Sweat has done that for this group. It's been. I've been really impressed. Again, I did not – I really didn't know what to expect. But, you know, these these past four games have been outstanding. Yeah, they they, they really have. And, and, and one other one on the defense that I just want to ask you about, and that's Eddie Jackson because there has been it, – it's been a long time. Like, you know, I, I watch the games and I get into them. But, I mean, I, I jumped up and was standing and cheering for him because I really wanted him to cross the goal line and get that pick six because, to me – you know, I, I think there's been a lot of talk and a lot of conversation that things seem to be pointing that, that you know, Eddie, this might be Eddie's final games in Chicago. And just I, I really wanted him to just hang one more you know, as kind of a, you know, a final, you know, bon voyage. And and it just it, it, I really wanted him to have that. And it was obviously it's a great return and it led to seven points. But it, it was just one of those things where I just would have been kind of a cherry on the top, because I do think it's probably looking like the end of his Bears career. And it's been so impactful since he's gotten here and it, it just it's one of those things where I I, I hope you know I, I've seen some Bears fans getting on him a little bit for some of his play the last couple of years and missed tackles and stuff but I you know I still think his impact even when the secondary was significantly less a couple of years ago he was doing other things and I think he was helping the secondary in other ways other than being able to play that center field for Vic Fangio and, and turning the ball over all the time. It, it to me is just one kind of one of those, it capped off what I, is a great Chicago bears career. And, and I was hoping he could get it, but you know, maybe just maybe he'll get lucky and, and get one more here before, uh, before the season ends. Yeah, it was, it was fun to see. Um, as you said, it's almost like a, a career achievement kind of thing for what he's done for this team since he got here. I mean, Shoot, you remember that that the Panthers game is rookie year when he had the two touchdowns. Um, you know th this guy's made a lot of great plays. Right. He had some really frustrating seasons. You know, twenty nineteen through twenty twenty one, and and he came back last year. I mean, he was he was if he didn't get hurt last year, he's probably in the Pro Bowl. Um, the way he was playing last season. So yeah, I, I think the guys respect him, and, and I think you know Matty Rufus has talked about this that. You know, he sat down today, Jackson, when he got here and, and talked about this is the way we're going to do things. And here's a Jackson looks around. Everybody's gone. He's like the last one left. Um, he's that, you know, the Will Smith chip from the you know, <laughs> Bel Air, just standing right. alone in the room. And and he bought in and he played hard and he was a leader. And um, 
you know, if you want to be a cynic, and I think it's okay to say that, you know, he's also making a ton of money and certainly better off playing out the Bears contract than, you know, deciding to not buy in and go elsewhere. But he's lived up to it, and, and, and I think it's it's been nice to see. And you're right, you know, just looking at the cap hit and looking at his performance and his age, it's probably a position they'll, you know, they'll, they'll consider uh, making a change. Um, but I think Bears fans are going to, you know, they're going to have a lot of good memories of A. Jackson. Yeah, it'd be fun in the last three games if we can get another one um, at some point. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's switch over to the offense, and there's not nearly as many positives here to talk about, un, unfortunately, here. And and obviously, we'll, we'll we'll focus on the quarterback and the play caller. And, I mean, look, there, there were a lot of issues that go beyond even the Tanyan drop and the Mooney drop. I mean, the offensive line really struggled. And I know the Browns have an excellent pass rush, but the offensive line struggled. Fields was constantly under pressure. And that's not to make excuses for him. He needed to play better than he did. And I, you know, I thought Luke Getze maybe, you know, called his best game of the year against Detroit the, the week before. I, I really felt that there were adjustments made and, you know, there was a rhythm and some creativity. And I mean, I didn't love everything, but I, I thought, you know, he was really coming to his own. And I felt him and Fields were on the same page. And I, I just didn't get that same feeling. And, you know, and I kind of mentioned it earlier about, you know, if Justin Fields goes off against Arizona, I don't know how much value you have in the evaluation there because these are bad teams that aren't playing for much at this point in the season. And, and that was a really important game, I thought, for Fields and this whole team because it was a good football team. It was a beatable team that had some injuries and, a, you know, Joe Flacco and, and you know, Miles Garrett wasn't at, you know, 100% hasn't been the last few weeks. All you wouldn't notice it when the way he played, but. I just I felt like this offensive unit needed to have a better game if there was going to be, you know, conversations at Hallis Hall that this is this is what we want to do. We want to bring this back. And, you know, it it just it just wasn't there for me. And I just don't know how much, you know, quality evaluation you're going to have the last three games of the season. Maybe you disagree. No, I think it's I think it's a good point. Um, you know, yeah, if Fields goes off against Arizona or Atlanta, I don't know what that means. And you know what, but I'll even say this. If he had a good game and they won yesterday, I don't even know if that would have made a difference. I have no idea. I mean, it's possible that after Ryan Poles saw Drake May or saw Caleb Williams, he might have made his decision, you know, last. I don't know. Like, none of only one guy knows, and that's the general manager. So I do always want to point that out because, like, it, it is possible that there's nothing Fields could have done, um, you know, depending on if, if one of these quarterbacks has already blown Ryan Poles away. Um, to kind of use his phrase from last year, where none of the none of the quarterbacks blew him away. Um, yeah, it was you know it was so they were so close on so many plays yesterday. You, you talked about the Tanya drop, obviously the hail mary. I was went back and was watching the first play of the game. I love that it took a shot, and Darnell Wright's foot just slid in the turf, and he got beat. You know, it just took one. Just I don't know if it was a false step or he just got just lost his footing. Just like that, and Fields got hit as he threw, and you know it turned out to be an off throw. You know, Fields wasn't as accurate as you would like. Obviously, they were hounding him. It was the most pressures he's had all year. You know, the play calling, the drive that they got the field goal, kind of the one good offensive drive. I really liked the play calling. There was a lot of pistol. You saw what Getzi was doing, where he was having somebody come chip Miles Garrett as Fields you know, kind of rolled uh, to one edge or the other. And, you know, interesting things with Bayless Jones. And that was like, okay, this is a nice little um, a script here. This is something they built in that, that worked really well. They were never able to go back to it. They couldn't run the ball with Foreman. Um, 
you know, and then when it's fourth quarter, three minutes left, and then fourth quarter, 30 seconds left, I know a lot of people are mad about like how you handled Garrett in those plays, but you need all your receivers out there. Like you, you just, at that point, you really just are counting on your offensive line to do their job. And I'll say it, Bill, you're hoping your quarterback makes a play. And, and, and again, I never want this to come off as me putting everything on fields, but Joe Flacco made the play. He made a couple plays yesterday and fields didn't make any in the fourth quarter um, that, you know, put the bears in position to win. Tyler Scott had a great run after the catch. Um, but you're just, you know, yeah, you'd like better play calls. You'd like better blocking. You'd like better routes. You'd like guys to catch the passes. All of those things are all true at the same time. And if this guy's your franchise quarterback, you want him to be able to make a play when when the game's on the line. Yeah, no, you do. And and that's look, that 17-17 Justin Fields with the ball with 310, whatever it was to go. It, it was kind of the perfect situation for the fields evaluation. And and I know, you know, ever so well, he made the play against Minnesota. Well, fine. He's got to keep making those plays. Like it's that that you did it once and that's enough. That's what you need to keep seeing. And, and I understand that first play to Khalil Herbert went, went nowhere and suddenly it's second and 15. And, and that's not easy, obviously, to convert, you know, with two plays, second and third down when you need 15 yards. But we saw Joe Flacco. Now I understand Justin Jones was covering David and Joku, but we saw Joe Flacco convert a third and 15 on the game winning drive. Like the, these are the things you need to do as a quarterback. And it, it, it's tough for me because as, as someone who's a fan of this team as well, like I really wanted Justin Fields to work. I, I can't remember a quarterback in my lifetime that I wanted to see this work more than him. You know, he's an easy guy to cheer for. He's a good leader. That whole locker room loves him to the point where if they do move on from him next year, I mean, it, it, I think that locker room is going to be upset. I mean, I, I'm not, they're professionals. I, I think they'll get over it, but I don't think that's going to be an easy transition for this team to have. So when, when you just continually see things just coming up a little bit short when he's in these situations, like it's gotten to me at, at this point, you know, and, and I've kind of been there the last couple of weeks that I just, I haven't seen enough from Justin Fields, you know, and not that it's my evaluation, but I haven't seen enough from Justin Fields to sit there and say, it's worth keeping him a couple more years, you know, probably have to pay him $45 million a year versus Caleb Williams or Drake May. You know, I know the first pick is up is, is not a certainty, especially after the Panthers won. But to me, it makes a lot of sense to to reset the quarterback clock. This isn't, you know, the Panthers have the seventh pick and the Bears have the 10th pick, and we're discussing J.J. McCarthy. I mean, these are, even if they're not, you don't want to say generational, and there's been a couple hiccups for both these quarterbacks, they're still some of the best quarterback prospects we've seen in the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah, and and that's that's the issue that Fields faces. This is unique, that his team has is going to have the number one or number two pick. And is it if they didn't, you know, I think it wouldn't be too difficult of a decision to, you know, let him play out next year. You don't even have to activate the fifth year option if you don't want to. You can let him just play it out as a as a free agent. And in that scenario, if he balls out and plays great, you don't mind giving him a exorbitant contract. Like that's a good problem to have. Um, and you maybe draft a quarterback in the second or third round as as you know insurance because you have these draft picks and and you just try it again. Um, but it's not the scenario they're in. You said they, they're going to have a top pick. They're going to have an opportunity to take one of these quarterbacks. And 
if a general manager thinks one of these quarterbacks is better than Fields, that's it. That's all that matters. Um, and, and you get the bonus of having the guy on the rookie contract. Uh, so, you know, that's I, – I don't think this is how general managers should make evaluations. I don't think it's the way Ryan Poles would ever consider making a decision. But, you know, it's a great thing to do for your job security. Draft a quarterback. Right. So, you know, again, it's – I don't think that would ever go through Ryan Poles' mind, at least as a serious – reason to do something um but when you're looking at it as a fan and you're trying to figure out what they're what they should do what they're going to do you know it's something to to remember so yeah I, I think with with fields if this is year two as i said if it was year three and they didn't have the panthers pick all those different hypotheticals we'd be having a different conversation and we'd probably talk about bringing him back one more chance one more try and they still could you know I, again i don't know you know I, i've i've um I've certainly heard the conversations about you trade that pick, you get, you bring in Marvin Harrison Jr., you bring in a, a star offensive lineman, you got all this money free and see, like you build this, try to build almost like a super team around him. The one thing is, and I've had a lot of fans, you know, readers, subscribers bring up the 49ers, Brock Purdy. I don't think you talk about the 49ers because that is a unicorn what's happening there. That is like, you, you, you're not finding a Brock Purdy. <laughs> anywhere you're not finding couch you're not getting couch in it but the reason i bring that up though bill is how many pro bowlers are on the 49ers right now right eight how many the bears might not have a single pro bowler this year that's not to say there's not guys worthy i think sweat jalen johnson um i think tevin jenkins darnell Wright could i think dj moore certainly can even argue cole Komet. i think they have guys who are worthy who could you know guys who could be pro bowlers on the line they're building something here for sure for sure but they just don't have the the type of team. And the other thing, too, about a Brock Purdy, or if you look at Jalen Hurst from last year, those guys protected the football at a very high level. And that's always been Justin Fields' difficulty. Now, he had the three games in a row, no picks. Both picks yesterday were on Hail Marys, but he also had two dropped ones. And I think it's hard to keep rolling with a guy and just saying, well, we understand he's not going to maybe be our best player like we, we were hoping he would be when he puts you in these predicaments it, it you know i'm always careful with this comparison bill but you know this team better than most there's a lot of jay cutler in this conversation right it, it, i i've said athletic jay cutler too many yeah. times and i don't like saying it, it, it you know what <laughs> look it, it nothing to do with their personality is completely no different. not at all not at all justin fields does have a little bit of jay to him personality wise sometimes you know when he gets a little frustrated with things but um you know, from a leadership standpoint, all those things are different. But, you know, Jay put the Bears in positions where they had to make up ground. Jay also had an arm like nobody else that could make throws like nobody else that could put them back in position to win those games. Justin Fields, you know, inability to protect the football consistently puts the Bears at a disadvantage sometimes. But then he has this athleticism that no other quarterback who's ever played the game has that can keep them in it. So it's this give and take um, that they just have to kind of sort through. Yeah. And, and, and last thing here, and the, the one thing I've said about the fans who are like build the 49ers, build the Eagles. And, and why I don't say it, it quite works is because, well, you're going to have to pay Justin Fields here in a year or two. And that kind of happened. That's working with Brock Purdy because he's making a million dollars a year right now, or, or, or even less, you know, Jalen hurts, was on a rookie contract. Now that that extension is going to start kicking in, and they'll, they'll start kind of bleeding some talent in, in Philadelphia. So I, I don't think it quite 
fits the same way because you're going to have to pay the quarterback sooner rather than later. But, you know, that being said, if you do keep Justin Fields, the last question I have for you is, is it better to keep Luke Getze and keep him in the same offensive system? Or does it make more sense to try and move on and maybe find a better fit offensively for him? But he's going to be learning now his third offense in four years. Yeah, it'd be third offense in four years, and it'd be the fourth offense he's run in, you know, five years if you count, you know, just what was last year. To well, if you go to, to Georgia, it's like, what, five offenses in seven one. years or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, you know, look, it would be not that, again, talking about the way we think and the way general managers and owners think, like, that would be a wild sell job that the Bears would have to make if they're going to keep Getzy at this point. Um, the, you know, he's lost the fan base, and I get For that. sure. I um, I don't think Getz is the problem. Um, I think it's part of the problem, but I don't think he's the problem. And I think that um, you don't know what you're going to get with another offensive coordinator. And I think a lot of offensive, offensive coordinators might come in and look at Justin Fields. And see, there's there's two ways to look at Fields, right? You could look at him in a kind of the way Matt Nagy did at times and thinking, I look how incredibly athletic he is. Look at the cannon arm he has. And, and, and Justin Fields knows – defenses now that doesn't always translate to reading them in games but he's really you know he, he's very football smart he right. could run Matt Nagy was like he can run my offense well we saw that that didn't work Lugetzi came in and was like you know and again I'm, I'm not quoting Lugetzi here this is just kind of my evaluation of this it seems like Lugetzi was like well there are some limitations here let's work around this you know I'm not going to have you rolling out against this team that blitzes all the time because they're going to knock you out. So I need you to stay in the pocket, but you're not going to sit in the pocket and, and go one, two, three, because that's not how you play. So I'm going to make you sit in the pocket, catch and go quick screen, quick slant. Well, actually, they don't really do slants, but you know, you, know, you know what I'm saying? So like, I think that like, yeah, look, when, when the offense is as bad as it's been, it's everybody and, and gets his part of that. But, you know, I, I do think that, if you're going to keep fields and you want him as your starter, I do think you want as much continuity as possible. As far as I can tell, Luke Getzey and Justin Fields get along. This is not like a Jay Cutler situation with some of his offensive coordinators over the years. So I, I do think if you're going to keep Eberflus, if you're going to keep fields, you might as well keep Getzey because you want as much continuity as you can get. I think that the pitchforks outside Hallis Hall would be at like at you know like January 2021 level you know, after that, the way that season ended um, and that team made the playoffs. So it, it's, it's a, it's a difficult situation. And Bill, how many times in Bears history have we had this conversation? Is it the offensive coordinator? Is it the quarterback? Is it the play callers? It's both. It's, it's everybody. Um, but I do think, yeah, in your scenario, you bring up, I probably, I might be in the minority. I probably would bring Luke Getzey back because I don't want to have to make fields, learn another playbook, make these guys learn another playbook. Um, you know, and you, you know, you can say you bring them all back and give it one more shot and, and you can, but the thing is about that bill, you don't have the number one or number two pick in 2025, right? It's a have, different conversation. You don't have all this cap space in 2025 where if you wanted to sign a veteran or trade for a veteran, if that's an option on the table. So that's what makes all of that a very, very difficult, um, consideration for Ryan Poles, Kevin Warren, George McCaskey to look ahead to. All right. One word answer as we say goodbye. Gone or stays, Eberflus, Getze, Fields with 14 games into the season? 
uh, right now. Right now. Yeah. And this is recency bias a little bit after what I experienced yesterday, Bill. I'd say all three gone. All three gone. Okay. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's how I, I feel too. That's what I'd say right now. Um, and as you said, I don't know if wins over Atlanta or Arizona make a difference. I will throw this out there though. Let's say they beat Arizona Atlanta and Green Bay is playing for a playoff spot. And we know how much that rivalry means to to the to the McCaskey family. That would be a funny scenario. <laughs> if the Bears went in the Lambeau, played lights out football, led by Justin Fields, they keep the Packers out of the playoffs, and they'd already made all these decisions, maybe. And then George is like, guys, we, we just beat the Packers. Right. That was incredible. Like <laughs> that would be kind of a fun, like way to look at it but no right now as you're asking me on december 18th after the browns game i i would say i would say gone to all three but you know anything anything can happen of course all right there it is kevin fishbane of the athletic of course make sure you follow him on twitter at k fishbane you read all the stuff at the athletic you know from time to time on hogan johns kevin thanks for so much time that was a great conversation and we'll talk to you soon yep thanks for having me bill Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Right there he is, Kevin Fishbane, everybody. And I put him on the spot right there at the end. Floose gets he fields, who stays, who goes. And he said, right now, he feels all three go. That's where I'm at. I made it very clear at the start of this podcast. And the, the, the bottom line here is there's three games to go. And as I mentioned it to Kevin Fishbane, and I mentioned it on the postgame show, I'm not putting a lot of stock in any evaluations over these last three games. It's two bad football teams in a week 18 game that is just a wild card. You don't know who's playing, who's sitting, how much is on the line. There's just too much uncertainty to know if it's legitimate evaluation or if it's kind of fluky, almost preseason type football, but the starters are playing the full game. I just, I don't care. I, I said that in the post-game show. I didn't want to get into it too much before Kevin Fishbane's interview. I just, if he goes off against the Cardinals or the Falcons, Justin Fields, that is, I, I just don't see how much value there is in that. I, I don't. I needed him to go off against the Cleveland Browns. I needed him to win. I needed him to do enough to win. And I understand the issues that were against him in that game, but he didn't overcome them. Fair or unfair, the quarterback needs to overcome these issues, and, and Fields hasn't done it uh, it's you know drew lock has more game-winning touchdown you know game-winning drives than justin fields i mean that's terrible it sucks like but that's that's the reality of the situation so let's wrap up this podcast with questions let's get to jets musings quite he just goes should the bears keep justin fields i think i've made that pretty clear there uh jets musings that i think it is time unfortunately, to move on as, as much as I don't want to do that. Matt Brown, what are reasonable expectations? What are, I should say, what are responsible expectations for the rest of the season? Well, I, I'll be honest here. I, I don't think there's, there's too much to go. Like, the best thing for the Chicago Bears on Christmas Eve 
is for the Green Bay Packers to beat the Panthers and the Bears to lose to the Cardinals. And again, I don't tell you how to fan, but that's the best thing that could happen. That bumps the Cardinals up to four wins. That puts them out of range. It locks the Bears in for a top two pick at that point. The only other team left you have to worry about is the New England Patriots and and the Panthers lose. On Christmas Eve, do you want to root for the Packers and against the Bears? You probably don't. You probably don't want to do that any day. You certainly want to don't want to do something like that when you're in the, the holiday spirit. So, yeah, that's a responsible expectation as a fan to want the Bears to lose. At this point, I want I'm back in tank mode. I want I don't care about these games. I expect the Bears to win one or two of them. I'd love for the Bears to lose all three. Cement the fact that Matt Eberflus is not the guy, get the best draft pick possible, and reset everything for 2024. That's the best thing, I think, for this franchise. But again, I am not going to sit there and tell Bears fans to root against the team. You want to. If you want to cheer for tank wins, go ahead. If you want to cheer for this team to finish 8-9 and nine, so you have a good feeling in your, in your belly at the end of this season, go ahead. Do what you want to do as a fan, and then we'll worry about the... You know, the offseason and the draft positioning and everything afterwards. For me, I don't need to see meaningless victories against the Cardinals or or the Falcons. So I, I think watch Justin Fields, you know, continue the evaluation there, even though I don't think it's that impactful, and, and kind of see where he's at because it'll matter for trade value. So watch Justin Fields. Keep watching players individually. Watch the rookies. Watch Terrell Smith and Tyreek Stevenson and Javon Dexter and Zach Pickens and Darnell Wright and, you know, even guys like Tevin Jenkins and other potential building blocks and see how they're developing. That's what you should be watching for. Don't worry about those victories because, you know, this team's going to have, is going to reset some things next year no matter what. Some players like Darnell Mooney are almost certainly gone. So, that's what the expectations are for me. Watch the individual players and, you know, expect this team to win one game, maybe two games, and we'll see what happens after that. All right, let's get to a few more questions before we wrap up. Let's do Cav Manning. It's all but a lock that, that with now three historical losses in one season that they clean out all coaches. I worry about George doing like he did with Nagy means it's Groundhog's Day, draft a QB, and then the following year a different coach. It's toxic. And I agree, Cav. You know, we, we've talked about this, about lining up the coach and the quarterback and something they've never done. And drafting Caleb Williams to keep Matt Eber, or to keep Matt Eberflus and then fire Matt Eberflus after next year is a giant mess. And then you're going to have two new offenses for Caleb Williams in two years. It, it's not good. They, they need to do this properly. They, if they were going to remove the coach... Don't saddle, and I know some people might be mad at that, don't saddle the new coach with Justin Fields. Don't say, oh, you have to keep Justin Fields. Get them to line up, pick the quarterback together, pick the coach, and, and, and let's roll and have everything on the same page. I completely agree. It would be terrible to do that. Now, I will say this. I think George is going to listen to Kevin Warren. I really, really do. I, I know a lot of people don't necessarily believe that, and they think George will still meddle. I don't think he's going to. I think if Kevin Warren sits him down and says, George, this is the best thing for the franchise, he will say, okay. I know in the end it's his final say, but I do think that will happen. And that really is, while it's George McCaskey's final say, it really is Kevin 
Warrens. Let's get to a couple more questions here. Chris Armstrong asks, we talk about Flus and Getze, but Chris Morgan's guys are struggling. How much of that is on him? Well, that's a good question, Chris, and it's hard to know exactly what's happening with positional coaches. You know, it, it, it's tough to know. Some of them get, you know, really pumped up by NFL media. Others don't. Here's what we look at with Chris Morgan, all right? And there have absolutely been some problems with Chris Morgan, but the offensive line, like last year, was the run blocking better than the talent on the field? Yes, it was. Does Braxton Jones, we give Ryan Poles all the credit for that, and we should, but how much did Chris Morgan impact his improvement? Tevin Jenkins has really shined at guard. How much does Chris Morgan teaching Tevin Jenkins a new position, how much credit does he get there? Darnell Wright's had a damn good rookie year. Does Chris Morgan get credit there? So right now, the offensive line, it looked horrible against Cleveland, and it wasn't great the week before. Definitely seeing some warts here. But Darnell Wright's hitting a rookie wall. Darnell Wright has an injured shoulder. Nate Davis has not been nearly as good since coming back from injury. High ankle sprains for big guys. Those are tough injuries. He may still be struggling and not quite healthy. Center, we know the problem at center. And, and you know, Tev, Tev missed most of the game yesterday and Cody Whitehair came in. And we talked about this, I think, before anyone else was, about how Cody Whitehair is kind of washed and he needed to get to the bench. So, you know, Chris Morgan, is he having some issues here lately? Perhaps. But I think with this offensive line and the growth we've seen, there's also been positives with Chris Morgan as well. So overall, am I too concerned about Chris Morgan? No. And I think it comes down to if Matt Eberflus is here, you know, Chris Morgan may be here. He may not be because of a new offensive coordinator. Who knows? But if Matt Eberflus is gone, pretty much all the positional coaches are going to be gone anyway. So I'm not too worried in terms of big picture what happens with Chris Morgan. And I, like I said, I think there have been some positives with the offensive line in terms of development. And you have to give Chris Morgan some credit for that. You know, we don't know exactly how much, but you got to give him some. And we'll wrap up with Juan. If Marvin Harrison Jr. is not on the table, do we pick Bowers or go for the next best wide receiver? Well, we're going to have to kind of see what happens here. Like what, when you say Marvin Harrison Jr. is not on the table, are you suggesting the Bears traded down and kept Justin Fields and traded down to five, and they have like the fifth and the seventh pick. I mean, there's some nuance to that question, but based on how I've been discussing it in this podcast, that with the top pick, the Bears take a quarterback and then have another pick. Yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. is not going to be there, but let's assume all the other weapons are on the table. For me personally, I would take Malik Neighbors before Brock Bowers. I think there are plenty of draft analysts who are going to have Bowers ahead of Malik Neighbors. I like the idea of getting a young wide receiver on a, a rookie contract. You got Cole Komet here already, and I know Brock Bowers is, is, is a U. He's going to be more of a move tight end. Don't play quite the same position. I don't need to be married to 12 personnel as much. I like Malik Neighbors. He's a special player. Now, I think I would take Brock Bowers over Odunze, and I think I would take Brock Bowers over Keon Coleman. So it kind of depends on what happens in terms of how the draft breaks down. I mean, I, I saw I was reading some something today that 
there was someone suggesting that Marvin Harrison Jr. may fall to like the fifth or sixth pick. Well, that's interesting if that happens because basically looking at the draft, they're saying maybe three quarterbacks go before Marvin Harrison, not just two. We're going to see what happens with Jaden Daniels here. And the fact that someone like the Washington Commanders may take a tackle. And there's a couple really good ones. So is it possible that teams go offensive line before wide receiver? I think Marvin Harrison is extra special. I would not pass on Marvin Harrison for an offensive lineman. I, I think that's, you know, Marvin Harrison to me is generational. He is that good of a wide receiver prospect. So I wouldn't pass on Marvin Harrison for an offensive lineman, but who knows what these teams are going to do. So to me, if I'm talking about weapons for the quarterback right now, subject to change based on, you know, Brock Bauer's health, you know, based on combine, all that stuff that, that could change things a little bit. I go Marvin Harrison one, Malik Neighbors two, Brock Bowers three, and Rome Adunze four. I would go in that order. That would be my pecking order. And based on the Bears' second pick, who's ever available on that draft board, that's who you select. So that's where I'm at. All right. Let's wrap it up with a prediction. And, and it's a who cares game. It's the Arizona Cardinals. And again, I have said it. I am in tank mode at this point. I, I just want to make sure Matt Eberflus is buried. I don't want to have any risks of running back mediocrity next year. I don't want anyone to get any bad ideas. So I'm tank wins, baby. That's where I am. And that means I am rooting for the Green Bay Packers on Christmas Eve because I want to make sure the Carolina Panthers lose football games. They got the Jaguars the week after that. And hopefully in the final week of the season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing for something the Bucs are playing for something, they will beat Carolina, no question in my mind. But if they have a playoff spot wrapped up, and they could, if they are tied with the Saints in Week 17, they play the Saints, if they beat them, they have the tiebreaker, they will have the division wrapped up. And at that point, they could sit Baker Mayfield, Mike Evans, and who knows what happens in Week 18. So that's where I'm at. I'm hoping we can get the Panthers to lose out. I think there's a chance they win one more game, which means it would be very helpful because the, you know, the Cardinals, I, I don't think the Cardinals, we have to worry about the tiebreaker with the Cardinals. But I do think you have to worry about the tiebreaker with the Patriots. I think when the dust settles, basically they're tied right now, the Patriots and Panthers with strength of schedule. I think when the dust settles, the Patriots might have an easier strength of schedule than the Panthers, which means the Patriots would get the number one pick. Number two pick, very valuable still, would still be a heck of a trade for Ryan Poles, but not the same as having that number one pick. So we could really use a Packers win, we could really use a Cardinals win, but we could really use a Patriots win. So I think the Bears do bounce back. I do think they win on Christmas Eve. I think asking an Arizona Cardinals team to dry, to fly, you know, two-thirds the way across the country in a frigid Chicago on Christmas, I don't think they're going to want to deal with this game very much. They don't have much to play for either. So I think the Bears win this one. I'm going to say 27 to 17. I hope I'm wrong, <laughs> but we'll talk to you in two weeks. Going to take next week off for the holiday season. First week I've missed all year, but we're going to take off next week. We'll be back before the Packers game. So we will, we will just miss one week. We'll be back before the Packers game. Bear down, everybody. 
Talk to you soon. Happy holidays, happy new year, and all that good stuff. Enjoy all that time with your family. Enjoy some time off of work. We all need to detox. Enjoy it. We'll talk to you soon. Adios. Adios.